Welcome. Welcome to Park Church. We're glad, we're glad you're here. We're, it's, uh, it's, it's good to see you again on this kind of rainy, kind of um, dreary Sunday morning, but that's okay. Uh, if you're new, I want to say to you a special welcome, and I want to get you caught up on what we've been covering uh, since really the fall's begun. We kind of kicked off this church year, lines up with the school year. We kicked it off three weeks ago, uh, opening up with this series called All In, where together as a church this year, we want to go all in on what God is doing to reach the people of Monmouth County. We want to go all in on God's mission for this area, um, to share his love, his grace, his goodness, his peace, his hope with our friends, our neighbors, the people who we uh, go to school with, the people we work with. That's kind of what we're about. So two weeks ago, we kicked off this series talking about one of the parables that Jesus told. It was the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is a story that Jesus told. Um, and here's like the basics of it. Jesus tells a story where there's a guy who has been beaten up. He's been stripped, left half dead on the side of the road by a bunch of robbers. And these two kind of religious guys, they walk by and they, you know, they see it and they turn the other way. They ignore it. This third man comes, this good Samaritan. He comes, um, he walks over to the man he binds up his wounds, he, 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 he puts him on his horse or his mule and uh, rides him into town. He brings him to the inn, um, he bandages him up, he takes care of him the best he can. He tells the innkeeper, whatever it costs to get this guy healthy, whatever it costs, I will pay. And the guy gets healthy. And uh, Jesus tells the story really for two reasons. One is it's to show basically the way that God has interacted, um, the way that God has come to us. When he, when he came in Jesus, and that was God's way of saying, uh, whatever it costs to heal you, whatever it costs to get you back, whatever it, whatever it costs me, I will pay that price. And we believe that Jesus did that. The other reason Jesus told this story, though, is to say, this is the path for, for what it means to follow me. This is what, this is what the path is for your life. Um, to see people in your path, to see people who you live with, who are in need, and to go to them um, to love them. And that first week we shared this idea that when you do that, when you're able to love where you live in a way uh, that's reminiscent of this good Samaritan, you will show people God's very heart. That's what we're about here at Park Church, showing people who God is. Last week we talked about our call um, simply to invite people to come and see Jesus for themselves. People have all their preconceived notions about what God is like, what church is like, what faith is, Jesus. Um, just invite people to come and see Jesus for themselves. And this morning, what we're going to focus on is our call to inspire people to follow Jesus. And so this week, I've been thinking quite a bit about, um, about inspiration about what inspires me. I think I'm actually a pretty difficult person to, to inspire. Um, I'm not super impressed with a lot of things. Uh, but when it comes to like inspiration, I think like, just like generally, what inspires us most is spectacular things, spectacular people. You see those stories on CNN or you see these like human interest stories, right? And they're so, um, I mean, they're done really well and they're just, emotional music and all that sort of stuff, but they're just so inspirational. But the problem with them is that oftentimes they're of people who are just too spectacular, right? They're too kind of far outside of our reaches that like we, like, like I don't want to try to, I can't be like that. Um, I think about it like this. Take like LeBron James, right? He's like the best basketball player in the world. Um, 
he just, like, when he's on the court, he owns what's happening. And he dunks like no one else, and he defends like no one else, and he plays like no one else. And his basketball is absolutely inspirational. But he doesn't inspire me at all, because I can't play basketball like that. Um, I certainly can't dunk like that. When I dunk, I, I, I can't touch... I can't touch the net uh, that like the baskets like so he's not going to inspire me to play basketball better or to dunk like that because because I can't dunk like that. What inspires me is when regular people, ordinary people, just like you and I, do the thing that we can decide not to do every day, but you actually do the thing to help someone, to um, to make someone's life better, to impact someone. You actually decide to do it. That's what's inspiring to me. When the ordinary person does the thing that most of us don't do, even though we can do it. For example, um, I was talking to a friend of mine this week about this, and she told me the story of her mom. Her mom's name's Lisa. And when my friend was a little kid, um, her mom befriended this woman named Joan. And Joan was about 10 or 15 years older than my friend's mom. And Joan was a woman who um, was, was in this area, I'm not really sure why, but she really didn't have any family. She never got married. She never had kids. Her parents died when she was very young. I think she had one brother or sister, but they were like estranged. And so this woman, Joan, was like um, living in this area just largely alone. And she met her somewhere. I forget where she met her. Um, but she said to herself, here's someone who is in need, uh, in need of companionship, in need of friendship, in need of family, in need of someone to be there. And I can do that. And so she decided that day she was going to come alongside Joan and befriend Joan. And for years, that's exactly what happened. My friend um, recounts family birthday parties and Christmases and that sort of thing when she was a little girl. And like, Joan was always at those parties. And when she got older, Joan was at those things. And Joan was at the wedding. And um, recently, Joan got old enough where she needed to go into a nursing home. And my friend's mom was kind of faced with this um, decision for the first time. It's, do I stick with Joan? Because now Joan's needs are going to be taken care of. She's going to have someone to buy her food and feed her. And she's going to have someone to keep her company. And they have activities there and all that sort of stuff. Maybe I, can, maybe I could back off. Maybe I could save some time for myself. And my friend's mom didn't do that. My friend's mom decided to stick with it, to stay with her, to be there for her to visit regularly, to still invite her to the um, parties, to still invite her out, to still make her part of, part of the family. Because she saw something that we see every day, someone who was in need, and she did something that wasn't extraordinary. This is something that we all could do in one way or another, but we don't for one way, for, for one reason or another, but she did it. She saw someone in need, and she didn't um, listen to the voice that says, nah, don't do that. Or, nah, that's not your problem. Or, nah, you don't have enough time. Or, nah, you're not good enough. She just went and did it. And that's inspiring to me. That's what inspires me. And there's a good chance that um, all of us, in one way or another, we all have things or opportunities like this um, to be helpful, to, to give compassion, to give a little bit of life back to someone. We all have opportunities like this um, to serve Jesus like that. And we all say no to those things for one, you know, for, for one of the many reasons that are out there, right? Um, maybe we're not sure of ourselves. Maybe we're not sure we have what it takes. Maybe we're not sure of God. We're not sure of what, of what God has for that person. 
Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we feel like we don't have enough time. There's, there's literally like a thousand excuses in the book. And um, here's the main point that I want you to hear this morning. And you could write this down. When you have that opportunity to help someone, to extend really uh, mercy, and you're willing to overcome the obstacle, overcome the reason as to why you don't, when you're willing to do that and you're willing to do it in Jesus' name, you will inspire people to follow Jesus. Jesus is our model of this. And so this morning, we're going to open up one of the stories from the New Testament. We're going to draw out three or four things that we could see from this story. And it comes in the Gospel of Mark. Mark was one of the four guys who wrote Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is all about the life and resurrection um, of Jesus. And so Mark opens up his, uh, his story. This is in chapter 5 of Mark. Most of this will be up on the screen. And this is, where, this is where Mark begins. He writes, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, now, right before this, <clears throat> in the beginning of chapter 5, uh, Jesus was on the other side of a lake, and he was healing someone who was demon-possessed. And it's a big, long, involved, really incredible story. It's really worth reading at some point. But um, this was something that took a lot out of Jesus. Jesus crosses the boat. He's back on the other side. um, And a, a great crowd gathered around him. He was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus, so Jesus went with him. He comes across the sea. There's a crowd. The leader of the synagogue comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet. Now, this leader, he was an important guy. He wasn't the rabbi or the teacher, but he was the guy who organized everything. And so he was one of the most important guys in town. And so one of, when one of the most important guys in town, when his daughter's at the verge of death, there's going to be a great commotion, a great crowd surrounding him. And so he comes and he throws himself at Jesus' feet because she is at the point of death. And so um, just, just to step back and kind of analyze this, here is someone who is in need, about to lose his daughter. And Jesus decides to go with him to make her well. Uh, He simply decides to do what he can do, what is within his power to do uh, for Jairus and for his daughter. Now, what Jesus could have done is Jesus could have turned him away and say, hey, look, I'm really tired. I was just across the sea. I was just healing the guy with the demon. I'm really tired. Can you come back another time? Jesus could have said that. Jesus could have said, hey, Jairus, can you see there's a huge crowd of people around me here? Um, They all have needs too. What makes you think I can go and go and help your daughter? Um, but Jesus, Jesus doesn't do that. He responded with what I will just call and define as mercy. Mercy is a word that we hear and probably use all the time, but it kind of gets lost what it means. Um, if you look it up in the dictionary, what mercy is, is compassion especially for someone who is either like an offender of you or someone who is subject to your power. Now, Jairus and his daughter were not offenders of Jesus, but they were certainly subject to his power. And by that, I mean it was within Jesus' power to heal this girl, to make a difference. 
And that's what Jesus decides to do. That's mercy. And I bring this up and I, I say that really for this reason. This basic human decision to see someone in need and to respond in mercy, this is something that I fear we neglect all the time. There are people around us all the time who are in need of compassion, of comfort, of having their loneliness uh, taken away by your friendship. Um, there are people around us who are in like literal need of help. And I'm afraid that we neglect that time and time again in order uh, to protect ourselves, in order to preserve ourselves, in order um, because we just think our stuff is too important. If you remember the Good Samaritan story, this is really what's at the heart of that story. It's the basic decision of that Samaritan not to see the person in, in need and walk away, but to see the person in need and to go towards him. This is just the very basic, like if we want to be people who are out there loving where we live, the decision to act in mercy is a prerequisite. And so I'll ask you this basic question. Where have you been neglecting mercy in your life? Where have you seen that person, that situation that's within your power to do something about? And you've turned and looked away or turned and walked the other way. For, for us to be people who are following Jesus, this guy, and inspire others to follow him, the the very basic decision for mercy needs to be our, um, that's, that's got to be our starting point. It was always Jesus' starting point. And so um, the story goes on from there. Mark writes, a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering, suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. Now, um, the crowds are there, people are everywhere, and this woman, who we'll really get into her um, in a minute, like, interacting with her, this woman who's been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years is there. Now, when Mark says hemorrhages, he doesn't mean any kind of hemorrhages. He means the kind of hemorrhages that only women can have, all right? Um, this woman has been bleeding, in that sense, for the last 12 years. Now, I was told this morning that I should never make light of or joke or comment as a man on something that I don't experience, that only women experience. So I know that I'm going to comment it still and you're gonna enter this risk with me. Um, <laughs> I'm a dude, so I don't know this. However, I understand from women that when that time of month comes, that's, that could be a rough time for you. That could be a rough week or however long it takes. Um, it can be painful, it can throw you off, it can ruin things for you. Um, I've heard that, I understand that. Um, now, ladies, can you imagine that being your situation, not one week a month, but every week of every month, of every year, for 12 full years? Think about, think about life under those circumstances. It's hard to even imagine. Um, today, it's hard to imagine, and back then, it was even harder back then. And let me give you a few reasons why. One is um, feminine hygiene products have come a long way in 2,000 years. We don't, have to, we don't have to talk any more about that, but you could do the research. Um, that's come a long way. Um, the biggest thing, though, is that for this woman, she wasn't able to have sex in a way that would um, conceive a child. 
And so for her, she wasn't able to be a mother. And that meant in that culture that no man would ever have wanted to be with her. No man would have ever wanted her. So she had to deny that part of her humanity, her sexuality. She had to um, be excluded from being a mom. And there are, there, there are people uh, who struggle to have babies. And, and that could, I mean, I've seen it. It's one of the absolutely the most challenging things that um, a woman has to deal with. This was, this was that woman's experience. Um, she couldn't really have a husband, which meant that she couldn't have that kind of love like that. She was excluded um, from being part of a family. And uh, in those days, to be a woman meant to be a mom with a husband. uh, And she couldn't do that. So for her, she had no place. She had no place in the world. And in that situation, she had no worth. She had no value. So she was totally excluded in that sense. And to make matters worse, in those days, um, it was men who made the money. she couldn't make money. It was the men who made the money. And um, you got married to a man and had the kid. And that meant a secure future. For her, she had no secure future. For her, she didn't know where it was going to come from, where her next meal was going to come from, from or where she was going to live. Um, so that was, this makes matters worse. She was excluded from family, from being a mom, um, from love, from that sort of relationship, from security, from a future. She was excluded from hope in a lot of ways. And just... You know, the cherry on top is that in those days, when a woman was menstruating, she was unclean in the eyes of the religious community, which meant anything that she sat on was unclean, which meant that she couldn't be around people who were looking uh, to God together. She couldn't be part of that community. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She couldn't go to temple, which meant she wasn't able to maintain Um, or experience a relationship with God in the way that they experienced it then. She was excluded from God. She was excluded from the community. This is a woman um, who is in need of help, who is in need of saving, who is in need um, of having some dignity given back to her. And she tried to help herself. Look at what Mark says. She had endured much under many physicians, and she had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She tried it all. She did it all. She spent it all. And in spite of it all, um, it was just, it was just, it was just worse. Now, when you stop and think about the opportunities that you have to show mercy to someone in your life who is in need, there's a really good chance that they're not going to be as, as bad off as this person. But that's not to say that there's not something uh, in common that they might share. Because how different is is this woman, let's say, um, than the woman who you work with who has recently gone through a divorce, whose whose picture um, of family, of being a mom and of being a wife, has has been shattered, has been taken from her. I mean, she's different than this, but not that much different. The feelings, the experience is probably much the same. Or the friend who you know who has lost someone unexpectedly, Um, a parent, a brother, a spouse. Their idea of what the future would look like with that person has been taken from them, and now they're left something like this, um, scared, unsure of the future. Or the person um, in your family who deals with the addiction and how that, that, 
that constant threat of the addiction coming back and dropping a bomb in the middle of your family, that constantly exists. And so you're left thinking, um, my gosh, what is the future here? Where is the security for my family member for the future? Where is that? And we all have, we all have that friend, we all have that person that we know who has the history with God, um, where they did something or something was done to them and uh, their relationship with God, their potential for coming back to a place like this is, is just as unrealistic as her potential to have a relationship with God. We all know and have people in our lives um, we all know people who are like this and who are in the same uh, place as this. When Jesus sees this woman, though, he doesn't see just a woman with a hemorrhage. He sees a woman who has been isolated, who is lonely, who is in need, who is in need of rescue. Because when Jesus sees a person, he sees through the eyes of mercy. For us to be people who are out in the world um, inspiring others through our mercy, we need to decide to see people through the eyes of mercy. So the woman in your office who's going through the divorce, you can look at her like, like, um, like I know she had a part in it too. It takes two to tango, right? Um, I know that she's, she's being really difficult. She's not getting her work done. She's slipping on it. I know that she's actually pretty difficult. I can't Maybe I can't blame her husband, right? That's one way to look at a person. The other way is to say, regardless of that, she's probably really scared. Regardless of that, she probably is just feeling rejected and, and judged and lonely in every way. Uh, it's up to us to choose to see people through the eyes of mercy or not. Jesus constantly chose to see that way. And so my challenge to you um, is to choose to see that way too. Think about the people in your life, those opportunities for mercy, choose to see them with those kind of eyes. So this woman, uh, she had spent all that she could and she, got, and, and she just got worse. Um, but then one day mercy comes walking into town. And this is, what, uh, this is how Mark continues with verse, with verse 27. He writes, she had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now, this is amazing. This is miraculous. This is incredible. And as kind of a side point, this isn't the main message here, but when you reach out to Jesus to touch Jesus, to connect with him. When you reach out in faith to Jesus, um, Jesus can do this kind of thing in your life too. Jesus can turn your life around. Jesus can heal you and save you from the things um, that you don't even imagine there's a way for you to be healed or saved from. That's just a promise that scripture, that Jesus gives us again and again and again. Um, but notice, at this point in the story, Jesus has not decided to be merciful with this woman. He hasn't decided anything because the way that Mark writes it, it's that uh, she kind of like sneak attacked him. She kind of came up from behind, touched, touched him on the back, and Jesus didn't even, didn't even know what happened. Jesus didn't even have a decision about this. I mean, this is the way that Mark puts it. He says, immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? 
his disciples, his followers, said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see, to see who had done it. Now, the very first time I heard this story, I thought to myself, gosh, Jesus is mad here. He's turning around because he's going to get her. Like, he's going to zap her or something like that. Um, but here is where the decision for Jesus' mercy, here's where it comes in. He looks around and says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, are you crazy? There's like a million people here. There's thousands of people pressing in on you. There's a hundred people who have touched you. There's a thousand people who have touched you. How could you ask who have touched you? Are you foolish? Like, like Jesus, you're not thinking. He just ignores. He ignores their ignorance. Um, and the way that the sentence is written in Greek, it's like Jesus stopped the parade. He pressed the halt button and he hunted for this woman. He stopped and he didn't, he stopped the parade until he could figure out who, who it was um, that touched him. Because notice, he's not content to be a walking dispensary of magical healing powers. That's not what Jesus is after. Jesus is after the person. Jesus is after the relationship. If all he was interested in was like healing people magically, he could have like shot healing power out of his hands at people as he walked around like some sort of Superman, or some kind of superhero or something. That's not what he did. He wants to look someone in the eye. He wants to see them face to face. He's after the person. He's after the relationship. So Mark continues the story. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. She, she thought like I thought. Fell down before him and told him the truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. She wasn't healed yet. The hemorrhage might have stopped, but she wasn't healed until Jesus said that to her. Everything you need to know about what Jesus thinks about this woman, about this encounter, comes in the way that he addresses her. He calls her daughter. It's not, woman, how dare you? It's not, hey, you invalid. It's not, hey, you're not worthy of this. It's daughter. All of the stuff that has excluded you from being part of a family, you are now daughter. All of the stuff that has made it so that you don't have a, a secure future, so that your future is up in the air, you now have the security of being a daughter in my family. All of the stuff that's excluded you from being a mom, from being a wife, from having that uh, family around you, you are now healed because you are my daughter. All of the stuff that's excluded you from God and from God's people, it's been erased. You are healed. You are my daughter. When you reach out to me, when you connect with me, when you place your faith in me, there is healing. There is peace. The word that Jesus uses for peace there, it's not just the absence of war. It's the word for setting things right. It's the word for this is the way it was meant to be. When you place your faith in Jesus like she does, uh, this is what happens. Peace. If the first part of the story was about Jesus' decision for mercy, this part, though, is about Jesus' decision to have time for people to give time to people, time for mercy. This wasn't just magical healing. He gave time to her. 
Now, in a few weeks, actually on October 14th, the day of Parktoberfest, we're going to have an entire message up here about busyness. But like, I'm sure we all think about busyness. We're all, we're all too busy. And I just think, I think busyness is one of the, one of the things that threatens our ability um, to be on God's mission like this. More than anything else, it's just busyness. Not, not having enough time. I, I talk with my wife about this idea all the time. Um, she's a school teacher and she's made to teach kids and to connect with kids. But unfortunately, most of her time at school is not spent doing that. It's spent doing other things. It, it, it's administrative tasks and it's standards and it's this and it's that and the other thing. And so what happens is she spends most of her time doing that and she doesn't spend the time that she's supposed to on what she's made to do, which is teach and connect with kids. And I think the very same thing is true for us as people who are trying to follow Jesus. Our time is taken up by things that are ultimately not ultimate. They're, it's taken up by things that are not necessary. So we have no time to do the things that we were really made and meant to do, which is to go and have mercy for people. And so I'll ask you, we'll talk about it more in a few weeks, but I'll ask you now, how can you decide differently to have time for people? To give time to people out of mercy? Because when you do, when you have that time, I mean, you see what happens. People get healed. Now, they're not going to get healed by touching your shirt. Um, you don't have that kind of magical power. But when you give time to someone to be with them in their grief, or time to someone to be with them in their loneliness, in their valley, in their exclusion, in a very real way, you save them. You give them hope. You give them peace. You give them a bit of their life, of their dignity back. This is the sort of thing that God uh, is thoroughly behind and in and with us. He will change people's lives through your decision to give people time. Don't, don't underestimate that. It's simple, but don't underestimate it. For me, Jesus is inspiring here, not because, you know, you could touch his cloak and be healed, um, in the same way that LeBron dunking isn't inspiring to me. I can't dunk like that, and my clothes don't have those magical powers. It's inspiring because Jesus makes a decision that every day I don't make, but that's within my power to make, to have time for people, for mercy. When we do that, people will be inspired. People's lives will be changed. So I challenge you to make time. So the story continues, and um, I'm not going to put the whole thing up there because it's a little too long, but I'll read through it. It's back to Jairus now. When, while he was still speaking, when Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house, from Jairus' house, and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? She died, Jesus can go back. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. He brought Peter, James, and John with him. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead. She's sleeping. And they laughed at him. 
Then he put them all outside. He took the father and the mother and Peter, James, and John, and he went into where the child was. In a very tender moment, Mark says, he took this dead, lifeless child's hand in his own. And he said to her, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At that, they were overcome with amazement. The words that inspire me in this are these. And they laughed at him. When was the last time you were laughed at? Not not because you're funny, you told a joke that was successful, but when was the last time you were laughed at for, for failing, for saying the wrong thing, um, for being exposed publicly in a way that people actually laughed at you? If, you, like, if you're an adult, hopefully you don't have a much of a memory of that, because that's not something that happens to adults very often. If you remember it, you're probably looking back at your childhood, your teenage years, and you're thinking, you probably have like a knot in your stomach because you were like, being laughed at is simply one of the worst human experiences you can go through. It's degrading, it's humiliating, it's judgmental, and it just puts you, puts you at a lower place than you can imagine. I remember when I was in eighth grade, it was towards the end of the school year. Um, for us as boys, it was, it was a thing to do to like pants people, to pull their shorts down, right? You used to wear mesh shorts and you could pull their shorts down. Towards the end of the year, uh, one day, this, this kid who was kind of a bully to me, he, um, he came up from behind, pantsed me, except he got the whole deal. He got my boxers too. And um, there I am, you know, out and about. Uh, you know, I, I pull up quickly, um, like the shame, the pure humiliation comes over, and, and like I don't even need to hear anything else, and it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm crushed. And then you just hear the laughter. You hear people laughing at you, like laughing at me. And there was just never a lower point in my life. It's, it's, it's not something that adults should experience ever. I mean, kids shouldn't experience either, but kids are cruel. I mean, but that's what it's like. What inspires me about Jesus is that in the face of being laughed at, he goes and does it anyway. In the face of being humiliated, in the face of being made to feel like a foolish man for believing he could do something to change this girl's life, he goes and he does it anyway. In the face of a crowd of people who all thought he was wrong, he goes in, he goes in and he heals, he heals her anyway. He wasn't afraid of what they would think. He wasn't afraid um, of people you know, laughing at him further. He wasn't trying to protect himself. He wasn't concerned for the personal loss that he would take to his reputation. He simply saw someone who was in need of mercy, who was within his power to be merciful to, and he did it, even in the face of adversity, even in the face of obstacles, even in the face of valid reasons not to. And this is what's inspiring about Jesus. This is what inspires people. Doing the thing anyway, even in the face of adversity, of an obstacle. She got up, she walks around, they were overcome with amazement. And it was his decision to go in there and to heal 
even in the face of that obstacle, that's the thing that inspired them. That's the thing that causes them, that caused them to be amazed. Listen, the simple decision to see a neighbor who is in need, who is within your power to help, and in the face of adversity, in the face of obstacle, in the face of loss to yourself, whatever it is, to help anyway, when you do that, when we do that, this is what will inspire people who experience it to come and see and follow Jesus. And there is a thousand reasons why we don't. There's a thousand reasons not to. And so I want you to stop and think for a moment, what is the obstacle? What stops you from deciding to actually act with mercy? It could be fear, fear of being laughed at, of humiliation. What will people think? What will people think if I take a step away from the in crowd, from the in crowd at school, the in crowd at work, and you take a step towards that person who's really kind of like a difficult person or who's not doing well or who's kind of a pain in the butt or who's the butt of the office jokes? What would it look like? Will people laugh at me if I take that step um, to go towards that person? What will people think if I don't sign my kids up for every single thing in the world? And maybe they're not as good at this, that, and the other thing. Um, but that gives me time to make a difference in someone else's life. What will people think? What will people think? Will they laugh at me if I say no to spending the money on the nicest car, the nicest house, the best kitchen? Um, I might not have the, fa the, the fanciest stuff. I might not look as good as I can. I might be laughed at in that sense. Maybe for you, your obstacle is busyness. It is time. You fall victim to that busyness trap where you would love to help someone else in need. But the way that your life is set up or the way that life has just overcome you, you have no time for it, and so you don't. Maybe you don't think you have what it takes. You don't have anything to offer. Maybe you don't think your relationship with God is up to snuff, and so um, you're not like authorized to go and help. Maybe you're just not up for the risk, for the vulnerability of putting yourself out there to truly help. We all have our reasons. They're all good, valid reasons. I want to suggest to you that our calling as people who are going to be following this guy is to work towards putting those obstacles aside so that we can decide, um, put them aside so we can actually decide to give mercy, to give time to people for mercy, to invest in their lives. And so I'll come back to the question, what can you do to overcome what's causing you to neglect mercy? What can you do to overcome it? So that you say to yourself, yeah, I might be laughed at, but I'm going to do it anyway because I trust in God, that God will get me through this. This is what I'm here for. It's what God made me for, so I'm going to give time, even if I can't do every, all the things that I want to do. I'm going to put myself out there, be vulnerable, use those gifts, and extend mercy, even if I'm not confident that my gifts are going to be enough. And this is where... This is where I have to say this. Um, if you take that step in mercy to go to the guy on the side of the road, to go to the woman with the problem, to go to the girl that's dead, if you go and take that step towards the person in your life uh, who needs mercy, God will honor that. God will work through you. God will give you the power to go and do that so that, yes, your gifts might be feeble or humble, but God will do greater things through them than, than than you can imagine. God will, 
God will empower you. God will do things that are far beyond all we could ask or imagine. But we need to be willing to make that decision, to decide for mercy, to see people with mercy, to give time and to take that step, even, even in the face of adversity. When you do that, when we do that together as a community, people will be inspired to follow the same Jesus who you're following. People who uh, experience it firsthand, people who see it secondhand. They will be inspired to come and follow this Jesus too. When we do that, we go all in on the mission that God has for us. And so um, my prayer for you, my ask, is that you consider how you can actually step forward and um, give someone in your life the mercy that they need. Let's pray. God, we thank you for... um, We thank you for sending Jesus into this world to be merciful with us, to rescue us when it's like we were dead and beaten up on the side of the road, to rescue us, to heal us when we are sick and uh, hopeless. God, we pray that you would show us your mercy again and again and again so that we can go out with that same mercy in tow. Lord, you know that there are opportunities before all of us every day for us to extend mercy, for us to give compassion or help or comfort or encouragement to people around us who need them, who need it. So we pray, God, that you would give us uh, courage and humility, give us creativity, give us um, inspiration to put aside the obstacles, to overcome the adversity so that we can actually extend that hand of mercy to those who need it. We pray that through us, Lord, you would inspire others to follow you. You would inspire others um, to find themselves as your daughter, as your sons. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for the life that you have given us. We ask you that you would help to continue to uh, shape and form this community to be a people who are out there living and loving in mercy. In your name we pray. Amen.